vodka, the traditional Polish uh, alcohol, felt like the only options were really um, like Belvedere and Grey Goose. And I felt like I want to buy something a bit more unique. I want to make something that can put, compete with the premium brands out there uh, in Canada and in the world. It's funny because actually we can't really like speak to each other because we speak different languages, but we were able to play and pull it off without ever playing together. So that's the magic of music. Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. Probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland? Sausages. <laughs> Pierogies? Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. all that jazz. I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 61st episode of Polcast. If you want to join us in promoting Polish culture, history and great work of interesting Poles around the world, because Poland and Poles need good publicity now more than ever. And if you want to hear your name at the beginning of our next episode, please visit our patrons page at mypolcast.com support. You can find all the information about our crowdfunding campaign on our website. The same address, mypolcast.com. And we want to welcome and thank our new podcast supporter, Michał Miasek. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Michał. And thank you all. Imagine that you go to a store and want to buy something special as a gift. Well, you cannot because it's simply not available. 99.9% of people would simply leave saying, well, too bad, I wish they produced it, and go buy something else. His reaction in this kind of situation was very different, as you will hear from him in a minute. There are three of them, actually four. The fourth little one was recently born. Patricia is the president of the company, Adam is the founder and distiller, and their young daughter Mila is, as she's described on the website, a future master distiller. The Shimkov family make an amazing premium vodka called Canuck. It's vodka with a mission. On their website we read, Ever since Canada welcomed the first explorers and up until the latest newcomers, Canada has been a land of welcome and peace. The desire to develop a better life together is an essential value in our country. We created Canuck Vodka to embrace elements of Canada's multiculturalism. How do they do that? I reach Adam Shimkov in his Polonais distillery in St. Catharines, Ontario. Let's talk about how this idea of your Canuck Vodka came about. Yes, so the idea originated back in uh, 2012. It was uh, Christmas time, and I was at LCBO purchasing uh, presents for our but family. But of course, now we have to stop because a lot of people don't know what LCBO is if they're in the States or somewhere else. What is an LCBO? <laughs> so LCBO stands for Liquor Control Board of Ontario. So in Ontario, Canada, 
the only place where you can buy spirits is inside uh, government-controlled stores. So it's basically, yeah, it's basically an alcohol store. And so when I was uh, purchasing uh, alcohol for uh, family dinners that we'll be attending on Christmas time, I wanted to buy something more premium. And since we're Polish and vodka is a traditional Polish uh, alcohol, I wanted to buy a premium vodka. And I felt like the only options were really um, like Belvedere and Grey Goose. And I felt like I wanted to buy something a bit more unique. And so uh, that thought was in the back of my mind. And then shortly after Christmas, I was watching uh, a very popular Polish uh, movie. It's a comedy. It's called Sami Swoi. In the movie, uh, you have two uh, neighbors, which would make a bimber, or essentially moonshine, in a barn. And I thought to myself, back then, after the wars, um, how was it possible that they were able to make equipment to make spirits? Like, they didn't have... um, industrial stores just home depot or home hardware or stores where you can can combine and buy materials or equipment to make spirits so i thought that was quite intriguing how uh, they were able to make spirits so i thought to myself if they could do it back then why can't i do it now and that's how the idea started i want to make something that can put compete with the premium brands out there uh, in canada and in the world that's that's a long shot, right? I mean, you kind of think, okay, I'd love to have something like that, so let me make it. Did you have any experience before? Uh, so I had absolutely zero experience. I had no idea how spirits are made. Um, so the first thing I wanted to do is to make sure that it's actually legal to try to make alcohol. And in Canada, the way the rules are, it is legal to make beer and wine at home for personal consumption, but it is illegal to make spirits. So you need to get a special spirits license. So even before I could start experimenting and basically learning about um, how to make uh, spirits firsthand, I had to obtain uh, special licensing from the Canadian government, which uh, is a huge hurdle in itself. So did you start very small scale, like a few bottles, or was it already, you know, from the get-go you wanted to make it big? I didn't want to make any big batches initially just because I didn't have any experience in distilling. So I knew that the first few batches I would make, that they will be likely fairly awful. So and I they were, want- really? Yeah, they were actually pretty bad, the first <laughs> ones. <laughs> but it's a, it's a process of trial and error, right? Uh, it took me two years to come up with the Kanuk vodka recipe. Okay, so when did the first vodka, the way it looks now, in your beautiful signature bottle with this beautiful top made of wood and also handmade, when did that first bottle get produced? So 2012 was when was Christmas time, and mm-hmm. I thought I want something better. 2013 is when I watched the movie, and it took me a year to get the licensing in place mm-hmm. and a special unit. So 2014 was actually when I first started making the initial batches, and I didn't have um, the actual final recipe until early 2016. So that was yeah, at that point, I was basically making it for two years, basically trial and error. And it was 2017 when I actually uh, approached LCBO. It was also one, one of those other things where when you start telling people you're planning to come up with, you know, for example, a vodka or a spirit, they start asking you, well, where do you expect to sell it? And when I told them where the alcohol store, the LCBO, then they would ask me, well, do you already have shelf space? Did you already have a contract with them? And clearly I didn't because it's hard to approach 
the store when you don't have anything yet. Uh, surprisingly, uh, what happened was uh, Patricia, mm -hmm. my wife and I, um, we went to LCBO once we had our Canuck vodka recipe and the bottle designed and we um, presented to them and they told us that we would likely be able to do their small distiller program. The way the small distiller program works is um, they would let us self-deliver to 25 stores of our choosing. And then after a year or two, once we prove that basically our sales are really good, then they may consider us for centralized distribution where an actual uh, semi-truck comes over and picks up a pallet and is distributed themselves. So that's what you want to work towards. But they said that even before they would let us do the 25 stores, we still have to pass two of their tests. One of the tests is a quality control lab analysis. So they basically, in a lab setting, they test to make sure the alcohol content is appropriate. There's no methanol, acetone, uh, lead, anything, anything that could be potentially harmful for human consumption. They test for all those elements and components. So we had absolutely no problems with the first test. And then the second test, it's a sensory analysis test. What that is, is they have a team of judges, which uh, basically taste test and smell test all alcohols that are being pitched to the LCBO. So I, if, if I was ever to pick uh, an amazing job, I think it'd be an amazing job to be a <laughs> judge for the LCBO and basically be able to try all the different spirits that are coming in there. The judges tried our Canoe Vodka and they liked it so much that they wanted us to bypass the small distiller mm. program and go right away to centralized distribution. And I recently also found out that we're actually the only craft distillery that actually has that privilege. There's wow. a lot of larger craft distilleries in Ontario and Canada, and they do the direct yeah. delivery. At first, it was uh, very scary for us as well, because at the time, we only had two 300-liter fermenters and a small still and a small mash tun. So um, we were almost uh, contemplating declining the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Just because we, it's also one of those things where you can't keep up with demand. It's also bad. Where can one buy your vodka? In every store, LCBO store in Ontario? No, there's uh, probably over 300 stores across Ontario. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in about 50 stores right now. Okay. And the other thing is we don't want to spread us ourselves too thin. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to get too many stores um, just because if people haven't heard about us in certain smaller areas, then the product likely won't move. We are creatures of habit. Like if you were to go to a grocery store, you already know which bread you're going to pick up, you know, which cereal, cereal which oh. milk. So you generally don't browse the aisles and try to find something new. So the way to basically uh, get people to change their habit is to basically what we call in the industry liquor to lips, which means that we have to let the person try the product and realize it's actually a good quality product. So we provide distillery tours and tastings at our distillery in St. Catharines, Ontario. And we also do try to do festivals and in-store tastings at the LCBO stores. So that's how we basically get people to try the product and they realize uh, how unique it is and how smooth it is. And then that's how we basically uh -huh. get people to switch over. So it's one person at a time. So it's a slow process, but we feel that's the best way to get someone to uh, experience what uh -huh. a product tastes like. Apart from the beautiful 
quality of your vodka. It also is uh, quite a remarkable product. Part of the proceeds go for mental health and for planting trees. You seem like people who have this other mission, not just to sell, but to make it Canadian, even your logo. So we do um, try to have a socially responsible brand. Um, the way we look at it is we want to leave Canada and even the world in a better place than when we came into it. So I feel like as opposed to always being like, gimme, 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 we want to basically be able to give back to, to the community. So for example, portion of the proceeds uh, go towards planting trees across Canada. And we are partner up with uh, Tree Canada, which is a not-for-profit uh, organization in Canada. What we also do is uh, we also provide uh, scholarships for artists. This year we had a $2,000 scholarship uh, for uh, students that are enrolled in any post-secondary education program just to come up with a graphical representation of uh, what makes them proud Canadians and with also our Kanuk Vodka bottle in the foreground or the background. And then with our bottle, it's called Kanuk because uh, when we were trying to come up with the branding for our uh, vodka, we realized that there's not too many uh, vodkas that associate with Canada. Most vodkas associate with Eastern Europe. Um, so we wanted to create a more of a national Canadian brand because we thought who's better to create a Canadian vodka than a Polish immigrant to Canada. And then when with the name itself, uh, we called it Kanuk because we feel like that's how a Polish person would say Kanak. Yeah, it's basically a twist on the term Kanak. Is there any Polish element in it at all? It's the actual process of making the vodka. So vodka needs to be basically distilled to 95% alcohol before it can be diluted down. And we also utilize some of the more primitive uh, filtration methods. So we also do chill filtration, which means that prior to filtering it through activated carbon, we actually chill the vodka down to below zero degrees Celsius. Um, and then we filter it through activated carbon. So that is more of a uh, old school method of filtration. Mm -hmm. But then we also imply some of the more modern methods of filtration as well by using uh, cartridge filters, uh, which we also obtain from uh, Eastern Europe. Regions themselves are very unique to um, the Canadian culture, and we thought which ingredient will be the most Canadian. And we couldn't come up with just one because Canada is such a multicultural country. So we decided to make, make it a four ingredients. So our vodka is made from um, soft wheat to represent the European essence. There is corn for the North American origin. There's also sweet potatoes for the South American and Caribbean vibe. And there's also wild rice for the Asian African influence. So it's basically a melting pot for all these different cultures in one bottle. Well, you also do a lot of things by hand, I see, right? I mean, your wooden bottle tops are all made handmade. That is correct. So um, I was always a hobby woodworker. And then when we were designing the bottle, my wife said, well, why don't you try to make a wooden bottle top? And at first I dismissed the idea. I thought it would be um, just too time consuming to do it. But then when we started designing the bottle, I thought that if we were to do a square bottle, then the wooden top would be square and there wouldn't be as much wasted material as there would be with a round top. Because with a round top, you have a lot more cutoffs. So then I started experimenting with 
what wood would be good to potentially use for it. And I thought that maple wood would be ideal to represent the Canadian maple leaf. Found out that there's this thing called roasted maple wood. And roasted maple wood is essentially maple wood that is uh, put into a vacuum kiln for four hours at a high temperature. And basically the wood gets roasted and that's how it gets a nice dark color. And uh, our distillery is actually called Polonais Distillery. Polonais is basically a French way of saying Polish, so a Polish distillery, 20 minutes away from Niagara Falls. So we are in the Niagara region among all the wineries. And actually, a bit of a side story about it. Um, we actually we have a symbol. So if anybody goes to polonais.com, spelled P-O-L-O-N-E-E.com, they'll notice our symbol. So we have a symbol, which people realize it looks kind of like the Polish eagle, but it kind of also doesn't. So we call it the Fiegel. And so the Fiegel is half a phoenix and half an eagle. So the eagle represents our Polish coat of arms, our heritage, our culture, where we come from. Whereas the phoenix, it's a Greek mythological bird, which represents rebirth and creation. So basically our distillery is representing the next generation of Polish people trying to basically create something new from traditional Polish recipes. In uh, the coming future, we actually will be coming out with a few other products. But right now at a distillery, you can also get uh, Citrinovka, Alamoncello, and also Spiritus. So actually, we also sell 95% Spiritus. It's hard to obtain in Ontario right now. So I didn't I even know it was legal. I thought it was illegal in, in Ontario, that very, you know, spirit that's so strong. No, it's, uh, it's legal. It's no different than buying it in Quebec or Alberta. Mm -hmm. So there's no provincial regulations that prevent you from buying 95% alcohol. It's mm -hmm. just that the LCBO only carries 76%. Right. And so since LCBO is the only supplier of spirits, uh, of stores, they basically, people just assume that it's only allowed, that 76% is only allowed. But uh, nobody else seems like they believe there's a market for it. But I know a lot of Polish people usually do try to uh, obtain 95% spiritus for making their own infusions from raspberries and blueberries or even adding it into certain cakes. So uh, we uh, we decided to carry a line of spiritus as well. Spiritus, uh, Lemoncello, and Strunovka, we already have available. Mm -hmm. We are going to be coming up with a, another vodka uh, in the new year and then with also a gin in the new year. We're also working on a peach brandy and on a apple brandy as well. A person or a company can do something in today's age with the internet age, basically. We can basically achieve anything we want there's so many resources available out there yeah. to learn just about anything so you're not limited anymore to having information passed down yeah. from generation to generation you're also not limited to institutional schools you're basically using even simple things as youtube and blogs forums mm -hmm. you can really learn just about anything out there and also with the globalization you have access to just about any manufacturer in the world mm -hmm. to make just about anything for you and also provide any supplies for you. So something that was impossible uh, 30 years ago, uh, these days you can really do make just about anything. So hopefully it's an inspiration for others to basically, if somebody has a dream for something, um, to basically just give it a try. Like one of the sayings we have in our distillery is uh, the only impossible journey is the one you don't begin, right? And I think actually that's a quote by Tony Robbins. I hope that other people will shoot for the stars. And as they say, like, even if you don't land among the stars, you still end up being fairly high. 
For more information about this wonderful vodka and its makers, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. This is another segment resulting from our collaboration with, with a group of students from Poland, history buffs who created a very interesting website, greatpoles.pl. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another segment of Great Poles on Polecast. I'm your host, Barbara Cargill, and today I'm joined by Veronika Tomiak, who is going to tell us about Zbigniew Religa, an acclaimed Polish cardiothoracic surgeon. Religa worked as a doctor from the 60s to the 80s. And in 1985, he led a team of doctors with whom he performed the first successful human heart transplantation in the communistic Poland, in conditions where even medical gloves had to be disinfected and reused several times because of shortages. How did Religa manage to become such a terrific surgeon in such harsh realities? Dr. Religa gained a lot of work experience in America, the country where in 1967 the first uh, human heart transplantation was performed by Christian Bernard. Um, Religa worked, for example, in Mercy Medical Center at Long Island, where he could assist the contemporary leaders in vascular surgery and see with his own eyes the most cutting-edge medical advances at that time, such as artificial valves. The Americans were generous in sharing knowledge, and uh, he visited the best clinics of that time, Massachusetts General Hospital, Houston Hospital, Cleveland Clinic. During all those internships and scholarships, he operated on patients, asked and discussed difficult questions, and observed the leading figures in the field. Under the tutelage of Professor Kantrowicz, um, Religa worked from dusk to dawn and helped out even during breaks. He appreciated the knowledge and, and skills other doctors shared with him, and he did the same for younger doctors in Poland. He wanted the young surgeons to become better than him. In other medical faculties in the 1980s, surgical assistants at the very most observed their professor's work, but at his clinic in Zabrze, Relika allowed the young doctors to operate independently, intervening only when things went wrong. One of his most prominent trainees, uh, Professor Tihon, recalls, I knew that everything was all right when Relika shouted, you son of a bitch, worse when he droned. Dr. Cichoni. He used to fire his employees regularly and rehired them 10 minutes later. Uh, Religa despised the, the existing hierarchy in the hospitals with the head of the ward being its god and absolute control over having nothing to say nurses. Religa managed to become not only an incredible surgeon, but also an outstanding teacher who created a whole new generation of cardiosurgeons in Poland. How many attempts and preparations were necessary to perform the first human heart transplantation in Poland? And did the surgery go smoothly? Uh, the first attempt to transplant a human heart had been undertaken in Łódź by Professor Jan Moll, but unfortunately it was unsuccessful and became widely criticized. 
It has been described as an act against nature. It was not easy for Religa to overcome the cultural and religious taboo around transplants of the organs often perceived as relics and failure of the first attempt by Professor Moll was still lingering in the air in the 1980s. Even though the surgery was considered borderline impossible at that time, Professor Rediga, sometimes called a madman with a scalpel, and his team took the chance and 18 years after the first ever heart transplant, the same operation was a success also in their clinic in Zabrze. The first patient was Józef Krawczyk, to whom a heart transplant was the only life-saving solution. Both he and the donor, 20-year-old victim of a car accident, were in the same hospital in order to reduce the deoxygenation of the organ as much as possible. Everything went smoothly. A day later, the patient started wiggling his arms and legs, and it was possible to communicate with him. And after around three days, the information about the transplantation reached the media. Later, the patient's state worsened. But seeing a patient after a heart transplant who said he was fine and functioning gave a strong impulse to carry on. Soon there was another surgery. And after this one, the patient lived around 40 days. The fourth one got out of the hospital on his own legs. Now the clinic in Zabrze is one of the leading European hospitals and more than a thousand heart transplants have been performed there. Heart transplants were the lifeline for some of the terminally ill patients with only a few days or even hours left to live. Both Religa and his team went through a lot to make them possible. What obstacles did he and his team have to overcome? Building the clinic in Zabrze would soon become one of the most prominent centers in cardiosurgery involved all the members of the team who helped with covering the floor with tiles, cleaning and organizing the medical equipment. Obtaining a solid financial backing during communism was also a real challenge. No loss regulating transplants were in existence, necessary permits were hard to obtain, Next, there were difficulties with transporting the organs from different places. Fortunately, the name of Professor Zbigniew Rediga could move mountains in many cases. His efforts to save the patients were second to none. Difficult patients were the ones he worked for relentlessly with the belief that every measure must be taken when human health and life are at stake. Religa's story was quite a popular one. The whole world saw the famous photo that James L. Stanfield captured of him. National Geographic even chose this as the best photo of 1987. And on it we can see Dr. Zbigniew Religa looking at the vital signs of his 23-hour heart surgery patient. In 2014, a movie Bogovie, or Gods in English, about Religa's life as a surgeon directed by Łukasz Palkowski was released. It is the biopic about Religa and the story of his team's struggles for the heart transplantation in Poland. Has it been successful? Yes, indeed. It has been considered as one of the best foreign language films of the year. 
and received many awards, including the Best Film Award in the 39th Gdynia Polish Film Festival. The title, Gods, might bring to mind the specificity of cardiosurgical profession in which, in a godlike manner, the surgeons intervene into the human life. However, according to the co-producer and screenwriter, Krzysztof Rak, the title refers to mythology, and like Prometheus, who rebelled against the system that brought fire to the humanity, Religa also broke some of the rules that Poland's medical professionals adhered to at that time, rebelled against the existing hierarchy, and saved people's lives. Thank you everyone for listening to Great Polls on Polcast. I hope you tune in uh, next month and Thank you, Veronika, for joining us today and being so gracious as to tell us about Religa's life. Thank you so much. Poland is known around the world mostly for solidarity and John Paul II. Maybe Chopin and Copernicus, if people know that they were Polish. But in recent years, another amazing Polish brand has been emerging. Since 1993, the Great Orchestra of Christmas Charity, a non-governmental charity in Poland, has been working tirelessly with one goal in mind, health protection and saving children's lives through providing medical equipment to public hospitals. All this money goes into purchasing state-of-the-art medical equipment for Polish hospitals, mostly for pediatric and geriatric care wards. The orchestra, as they say, plays through thousands of events, auctions, and all kinds of very unconventional fundraising ideas. This mass movement involves artists, intellectuals, politicians, sponsors, private and corporate donors, and most importantly, normal people, but also youth and kids. The fundraising efforts end on the second Sunday of January with a huge finale in the form of televised auctions, sporting events and spectacular concerts with fireworks. The orchestra plays also in 20 other countries, including Canada, where it started in 2004. For three days, dozens of volunteers ignored the extreme cold in Toronto and other cities, collecting money into sealed boxes sent from the orchestra's headquarters in Poland. They spent hours collecting money in front of churches and stores at shopping plazas. The orchestra played, which means that money was raised, also in Ottawa, Windsor, Calgary and Edmonton. Dzień dobry, dzień dobry, dzień dobry wszystkim. Witam serdecznie. Siema! Well, that was me starting a concert, a grand finale concert at the Fregata restaurant. After three days of freezing and collecting money, all the volunteers, as well as many, many, many people and wonderful artists who performed for free came to the Fregata restaurant on Sunday, the 13th of January. I had the pleasure to emcee and host the concert. There were many things happening and we will just like to show you bits and pieces uh, of the incredible performances that are not only Polish-Canadian uh, artists uh, gave to the audience. Well, we started with Anna Niewulis, a jazz vocalist, 
who has been with the orchestra ever since the very first Canadian finale in 2004. She performed that day with the most talented Toronto pianist, Bartosz Hadawa, and one of a number of non-Polish guest performers of the evening, Baninho Costa from Brazil. Her real name is Czeszczan, a big star in our Canadian-Polish community music world. She's just recorded her fifth album to be launched on March the 1st, but she still found the time to come to the orchestra concert. Levinovich, a virtuoso violinist, music teacher, as well as a composer, was featured on Paulcast in episode 59. He performed a number of pieces at this concert, and this one is his own composition. great Toronto three-member band playing good Polish rock. Two Polish Canadians, David Subot and Arthur Michalowicz, and... So I'm very happy to say that one of the members of this beautiful uh, and, wow, very dynamic band is... Here is Jay. Please welcome Jay. Okay, Jay is Trinidad and Guyana. So can you imagine we have really international lineup today? supposed to have just two guys, Alex Lazaritz, whose connection to Poland is his Polish wife, and Frankie Belfiglio, 
an Italian Canadian, Alex's music friend. So you guys met when you started music in New York, right? We met nine years ago and we just met uh, Arthur today. We realized that he went to York too, so he's gonna play with us now. Kidding! Yeah. He's gonna ruin another another violin ball. Why not? Why not? <laughs> we have a drummer too, Vidu is gonna Oh my god, look at that! And the folk guys, the Ukrainian folk is playing drums. I can't believe what's happening in Toronto tonight. None of us have played together, but you'll see, it's gonna sound good. Okay guys, be careful, they've never played together. This is an inauguration of a new band, I believe. 100% organic. 100% organic! Hey, bravo! We're very happy to have you. Okay, have, have fun. It's very great. The last performer of the evening, a dynamic group, the Ukrainian folk, who came from Poland, playing and singing great Ukrainian folk music in modern arrangements, have been playing for the orchestra for years. that Ukrainian folk performed at our concert last year and that they always played for the orchestra in Poland. We want them back next year. And now, here is my interview right after the concert with the four members of the improvised band who played together for the very first time and made the audience go absolutely crazy. 
This will show you how international our Canadian finale concert was. These guys did something amazing today, right? I mean, first of all, the two guys who came, Frankie and Alex. Lazaric. And then Frankie Berfilio. That's perfect. See, my, my Italian is getting better. And they were supposed to just perform the two of them, but what happened? The more the merrier. So we realized that Arthur here actually went to our school for music, so we said, why not include him too? And then I asked a drummer to play with us as well, and he's from Poland. And it's funny, because actually we can't really like speak to each other because we speak different languages, but we were able to play and pull it off without ever playing together. So that's the magic of music. Right, right. so you jumped in, Arthur. Arthur Levinovich is well known to our podcast audience, so I don't have to introduce him. But Arthur, how did you feel? You just jumped into something these guys had prepared. To be honest with you, I asked them uh, if he wanted to, if I could play with them, thinking they were going to say, oh, you know, maybe next time, maybe we need to do a quick rehearsal. But since we're all like, I feel like we're in a way, like we know each other, but we don't know each other. So it was a very comfortable environment. And then Frank just said, you know what? Sure, why not? Alex said, sure, let's do it. And then, you know, what? we winged it and it came out even better than expected. We were all focused, we were all happy, and we were just feeling the music on the stage. But Frank, you also added the Ukrainian uh, folk group uh, member who came from Poland. How did that happen? He was on drums. Well, um, during our sound check, we saw him kind of playing there, and I jumped up on the mic, Alex jumped on the piano, we gave our song a little go, and he kind of joined in. And then, you know, while we were watching the show, I kind of turned to Alex and said, hey, why don't we incorporate him in the act? We sounded good during soundcheck. I'm sure we'll sound even better when we perform. Which you did, guys. It was great. Well, I just want to say something that these guys represent how many different ethnic backgrounds. Let's go through that again. Frank. Well, I'm Italian. So we've got an Italian-Canadian. And my mom's Greek and Danish. My dad's half Croatian, half Ukrainian. That's and you have a Polish wife. Polish wife. <laughs> okay, and here is a Polish accent. Yes, this right. Polish. Exactly, and we had a well, not really Ukrainian. He's not Ukrainian, right? The guy on the, on the drums is Polish, but but you have Ukrainian blood in you. A little bit, yeah. That's right. Okay, so I actually counted six, six different uh, ethnic backgrounds in one band that played for the very first time. What made you come and and participate in this Polish charity big thing? Uh, my friend here, Alex, is the one that kind of brought it up to my attention. He was asked, and um, once he kind of shared what it was all about, I thought, hey, you know what, I, I kind of, I'd, I'd like to be a part of that. And, you know, I love making music too, so. So what do you think about our Wielka Orkiestra Świąteczna? This is the name in English, I can't see it. What is it called? The Great Orchestra of Christmas Charity. Right, what do you think? Kohamche. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having us. Dziękuję bardzo. Dziękuję bardzo. Thank you so much. That was an amazing orchestra. And, of course, we plan to do it next year. The orchestra campaign is about raising money. A lot of money was donated at the Fregata restaurant that evening, but not only that happened during the event. In a back room, two great artists, Agnieszka and Piotr Gozdyra from the iCreate studio, were working with a bunch of kids on painting a picture together. A large canvas was made available, and the children, as well as anyone who wanted to participate, could contribute by adding to the painting whatever they wanted. I must say that I did as well. Mine is a tiny little blue heart at the very bottom of the picture. The kids made a decision for the main theme to be hearts, which are the symbol of the orchestra. 
and in a few hours the work of art was completed and auctioned at the main stage well we were hoping for maybe two maybe three hundred dollars and the truly beautiful painting was bought for eleven hundred dollars after a fierce bidding war between three people the kids were ecstatic and so were we all i have to say that from my personal point of view my personal experience i love the orchestra not for money i know money is important that's the main goal but the orchestra brings the best out from absolutely everybody who is involved that 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 feeling of doing something together is absolutely amazing and that's why those people including myself spent time in the middle of the winter outdoor collecting money the youngest one was five years old the older well over 80 how much money was raised in all the cities in canada we raised over forty thousand dollars almost forty and a half great deal of money that's quite amazing yeah that's a lot of money and you froze i know not only you your wife too you both froze did you well not as bad as a year ago <laughs> the place where i was collecting was a, a very nice small polish community store in my town in scarborough uh, the personnel there was very kind to invite me inside the store hey so, so you didn't was... freeze <laughs> not in there not as much not nearly <laughs> as much as as many others yeah. uh, i was very welcomed there very well treated smiles of people you know distributing hearts collecting a little bit of money wonderful experience i wish we all did it more we all do it more often uh, i think i posted on facebook that in light of everything that happened uh, we should be doing it every month or so in a smaller yeah, scale I don't, I individually don't know maybe not so. that no. much just an maybe. idea but you know each of us has that opportunities all the time that is very true well everything was great uh and would have been even greater and happier had it not been for the real tragedy that began actually before we started our concert in Mississauga. Remember that we're six uh, hours behind Poland. What happened happened at 8 o'clock, I believe, around 8 o'clock in Poland. We got the sad news that the beloved mayor of Gdańsk, Paweł Adamowicz, was stabbed several times on the stage of the orchestra concert in his city right after his extremely enthusiastic and happy speech in which he thanked the people of Gdańsk for their generosity. At that point, being in the middle of the concert preparations and then celebrating the volunteers, I really had to make a decision and decided that I didn't want to get into this terrible event and basically change the atmosphere of happiness that was important on that evening, thinking that probably he would not have liked it himself. Uh, the same decision was taken in many other places around the world. Uh, we were shocked, um, but I guess at that point we just had no idea how serious it was. But the news came the following morning. The news was devastating. Despite the surgeries and the doctors fighting for his life, Pavel Adamowicz had died of his extremely serious wounds. The reaction of Poland and the world was incredible vigils gatherings output of grief and protests against the violence and the hate which have become a norm in poland's public life 
Yes. And more money came. A woman from Gdansk started a Facebook fundraising campaign. It was, I believe, called The Last uh, Box, The Last Box of President Adamovich. And this fundraising campaign on Facebook, she wanted to raise just a thousand zlotys. And in a matter of days, I don't know how many, two or three, people gave over 17 million. This was the largest such campaign in the history of European Facebook. The 27 Orchestra will always be remembered for this horrific ending. Poles have been demanding a drastic change in the authorities' reaction to aggression and verbal and physical violence. But it will also be remembered, right, for the unprecedented power of volunteerism, generosity, power grass of grassroots movements, and amazing passionate leadership. And it was now, in its 27th year, that the amount raised, overall amount uh, of money raised for children's hospitals exceeded a billion zlotys. A billion. Well, the recent survey in Poland, I just found it today, says that the, the respondents to the survey are saying that the orchestra, this orchestra, the public charity that has the most trust among Poles, 83% of Poles trust the orchestra more than any other charity in Poland. That's amazing. Well, the orchestra will continue to play until the end of the world and one day longer, as the orchestra motto says. And we will always be in it, Tomek, right? And it's a pleasure to be a small part of it. <laughs> Smacznego, we're here talking about our love for eating Polish and the undisputed king of Polish comfort food, Hunter's Stew, or in Polish, Bigos. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two heritage Polish cookbooks called Polish Classic Recipes and Polish Classic Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down for previous generations. But updated for modern kitchens, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. Poles love to party almost as much as we love to eat, and celebrating the new year is a great excuse to get together with your friends. We especially like to invite our neighbors over after a big snowstorm, when everyone needs a hearty stick-to-your-ribs meal after pushing a lot of snow around. One of our favorite dishes is Hunter's Stew in Polish Bigos. This is classic and traditional comfort food at its very best. The base is sauerkraut, to which we add kielbasa, bacon, pieces of pork or beef roast, dried mushroom for a very distinct flavor, chopped onion, and crushed tomato for background. And then basically, stew the heck out of it for several hours. It's even better prepared the day before, giving all the flavors time to marry and cohabitate with each other. The recipe we're sharing today is a classic Warsaw version, handed down from Peter's grandmother. But truth be told, there are a gazillion varieties of this hearty dish, since every town and every village in Poland, and probably every cook has their own version. The beauty of Bigos is that the proportions don't matter that much, and the flavors will all marry magically, no matter how you change things up to make it your own. So here are the basic ingredients. 
dried mushrooms, sauerkraut, crushed tomatoes, onion, a cup of diced smoked kielbasa, a cup of leftover meat, such as pork roast, a cup of bacon, which has been pre-cooked, and some flavorings like salt, pepper, and a bay leaf. Reconstitute the dry mushrooms in hot water, drain them, chop them up, but reserve the liquid. Rinse the sauerkraut twice, really squeezing out the water each time. In a large pot, combine the sauerkraut, tomatoes, and the reserved mushroom juice. Add the flavorings. Add a little water or broth if needed so that the pot doesn't go dry. Cover and simmer for about an hour or so, stirring occasionally. Again, be sure that liquid doesn't all boil off. While the sauerkraut is stewing, pre-cook your bacon at least halfway to render most of the bacon fat and chop it roughly into one-inch pieces. Add all the meat and bacon to the pot. Cover and simmer for another hour, stirring occasionally. Add more broth or water to keep everything wet. Taste it a couple of times for salt and pepper. And that's all there is to it, except that Bigos tastes much better when it's reheated the next day. We'll serve ours with some buttered, boiled potatoes and black bread on the side. For the adventuresome guests, we'll be knocking back a few shots of ice-cold Polish vodka. I like Luxusova brand potato vodka because it's very smooth and a great value for the price. For the others, we'll have a hearty red wine or Polish beer. And oh, by the way, this is a great crock-pot dish. Cook it on high for two hours, then low for about four to six hours, but not much longer, otherwise the flavors will leach out. Smacznego, the full recipe for this dish and information about our heritage cookbooks, is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the article posted on December 27, 2015. Smacznego! In the past episodes of our podcast, we have covered a large number of stories and presented to you many amazing people. And it is our great pleasure to update you on some of our interlocutors' new achievements, as well as some new developments in the stories we have featured. Anna Bayat, whom we interviewed in our last episode 60, a San Francisco-based multilingual actress who is working on a play based on Canadian jazz musician Ron Davis's amazing family story of finding his Jewish pre-war Warsaw roots, just sent us great news. Her multilingual play Mimi's Suitcase Solo Show by Anna Bayat has been awarded a generous matching grant from Neda Nobari Foundation to tour the United States to reach mainstream audiences and hopefully continue touring worldwide in the coming couple of years. We couldn't be happier, says Anna. And I have to admit that Ron Davis' story is one of my most favorites of all the stories we did so far on our podcast, and we are happy for Anna. Congratulations, Anna. That's well, well deserved. As we are putting final touches on this episode of our podcast, we received last-minute final from Canadian Great Orchestra of Christmas Charity. The total final amount of the money raised across the country is $42,514.21. And we should add to it 4246 zloty, 
race through virtual box organized by Anna Bohańska, who created Canadian Orchestra for Christmas Charity Campaign in 2004, and she was in charge of it for a great number of years. Thank you all. In episode 13, we featured an amazing woman, Alicia Edwards of Eureka, Montana, a painter, author, antique dealer, and a pianist. Alicia is now 94 years old, always very active professionally and on Facebook. Our story, The Invincible Generation Alicia Edwards, and my interview with her were loved by our listeners. And just a few days ago, her daughter Tina posted this on Facebook. I'm so proud of my mother, Alicia Edwards. She recently received formal recognition from her Montana congressman, Greg Gianforte, receiving the Spirit of Montana commendation for her indomitable resolve, strength and courage and inspiring memoirs of the Polish diaspora. At 94 years old, she's awesome, writes her daughter. We should all aspire to be that productive and live a life worth living. Absolutely, I fully agree. Congratulations, Alicia. Your story was definitely one of the most uplifting stories in our podcast history. We love you and wish you good health and as much energy as you've always had. You've been listening to the 61st episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For a lot of additional information, multimedia, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. And while you're there, please share your comments, your reactions, and suggest ideas. If you know of any interesting story that we should cover on our podcast, please let us know. Please remember about our crowdfunding campaign. Like all other podcasts, we do count and depend on our listeners. As we said before, what is free for you to listen to is not free for us to make. So please support us. Support Polcast. Go to mypolcast.com slash support and make a pledge. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to rate this episode on your favorite podcast app. And we leave you today with the Ukrainian Folk Group to leave you some more taste of the great orchestra of Christmas charity. Thank you for listening to Polcast.
Bagus, bagus, bagus.